Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo, and hello, everybody. Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we talk vintage cards, talk to different collectors, just have a great time. Uh, We are now just a couple of weeks away from the National. Every week, we're getting closer and looking forward to that. There might be uh, a couple, you know, during the National, I don't know that I'm going to have an episode, so uh, highly unlikely, actually, that I will. But before then, we'll just keep getting excited about it and keep talking about it. Tonight's guest is a guy that I've known in the hobby for a while. He's a content creator on YouTube and does a lot of shows. So we're just going to kind of just have a great discussion about the world of vintage and what's going on. And it's Sammy Thunder. Sammy, hi, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. So we just did, we're doing a home and home is what I like to say. So I just recorded a video with Sammy where we talked a whole lot about stuff. So if you want to go see that, go watch on YouTube, Sammy Thunder's channel, check that out. And now he's on Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. So it, it's kind of fun when, when you can kind of <laughs> each get some content out of a conversation, right? And that's the greatest thing about this hobby is that there's so much to talk about. Yeah, we'll never run out. And we'll try not to duplicate stuff that we talked about on your show because people can go watch that and hear that conversation. But you're experience with vintage you you've been a vintage guy for a while i've been watching your channel for 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 a bit now you you love vintage what what do you love about vintage so much i think what it is is just the nostalgia aspect to it at least that's my wife kind of hears me talk about it a lot and she ties that into the feeling of nostalgia so i think that plays into it a lot and i think also just going back to the days when i went to card shows and i was 12, 13 years old and buying a lot of the stuff from uh, like 80, you know, like 87, 88, like McGuire rookies and whatnot. And knowing that I can never really afford the vintage stuff back then. Yeah. It is interesting how, Oh, I can now buy some of this stuff, you know, (laughs) this wonderful revelation that I can't afford. I'm looking behind you right now and I'm seeing a, a beautiful array of 1954 tops cards uh those are gorgeous they're in the wrong slab they're actually in the slab (laughs) on my hat which as you see ironically uh are you an sgc guy yes uh i am all about the aesthetic or not the aesthetics but maybe just about the way things look so that ties into the 54 as well but yeah i'll answer your question is that sgc primarily because the tuxedo to me just presents well with vintage and with the 54 part of it uh, I love the the color scheme that they developed with it. Compared to other years, this one, they really kind of exemplify the different players. And so what I'll, 
grab one of them. So uh, I'll grab a few. Um, so the ones I'm grabbing right now are the uh, grab the Topps 1954 Alkaline rookie card. And for those that are unfamiliar with this one, uh, the Alkaline, it's an SGC3. Uh, this one, I think, has pretty good centering. But really, the beauty of this card is that it's just the, the, the bold red color background. It literally has everything you'd want out of a baseball card. It has the insignia, has a profile shot, has an action shot, and... You know, the and 54 is just loaded with big time rookies. So that one, there's that one. Then the other one is the 1954. Obviously, everybody loves this one. It's the Hank Aaron rookie. Um, and it's with this one, it's an SGC one. And the great, you know, again, insignia, action shot, profile shot. And this one kind of has more of a brownish, kind of like a mustard color. And then finally, this one actually came from Legends Ever Die, Jake Brewer. He bought, I sold it. He sold it to me raw, uh, and I graded it. It is the 1954 Willie Mays, two graded SGC 2.5, and this one has a yellow background with all of the attributes that I mentioned before. So, I think it's kind of cool. You know, all the Hall of Famers have different color schemes to them. They've um, really kind of provide a lot of variety. So there's something about the 54s that kind of hit different for me. And they really look good together. Like if you get a bunch oh, of 54s yeah. and you lay them out, I just finished the the player run and I did, or the hall of famer run and I laid them all out and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like the, the blues and the yellows and the oranges and the reds all just seem to dovetail together so beautifully. And I just love the way they all look when they're laid out. That's a, that's, a, that's a really cool thing about it is that individually, yeah, they just don't really kind of hold the same kind of weight. But when you start putting them together, and th this kind of holds true as well for T206 cards, when you start putting a lot of the um, portraits together, it, you really kind of see the impact that it has and the artistry to the cards. So it's really kind of just has such a weight when you have a lot of a lot of these different colored cards and when you put them together, it really kind of, it really is a thing of beauty. So is that your favorite set, vintage set? I I mean, you know, my my favorite sets have kind of changed over time. I think probably one of the favorite ones is, is the 65 because it has the, the pennant to it. And, um, you know, just that one was kind of like my introduction to building sets. But uh, since then, the 54s have kind of become my favorite ones to look at and to uh, like, I haven't built that set. I just kind of collect the hall of famers from that. So uh, that's kind of been my focus, but uh, yeah, those core, the core six that I have behind me, those are, those are the guys. <laughs> so I want to talk to you more about being an SGC guy because I'm a big PSA guy. Everybody knows this, but I, I don't dislike SGC at all. In fact, I think they're a great company, well-run great service, consistent grading, all those things that I've talked about, what leans you towards besides just the aesthetic, the tux, is it kind of the whole package that you get with SGC that you love? Yeah. I mean, I, it really is, is just the, the look and appeal. That's really what kind of draws me in. I, but I guess, you know, from a business standpoint, uh, PSA, you know, this is not to downplay anybody that prefers PSA. I, I welcome, I mean, anyone who has any preference, but SGC, you get the cards back faster. You don't have to pay a premium every year of $100 or, you know, and you also don't have to worry about um, paying 
a fee if the grade comes back higher because the value will increase. The dreaded so, upcharge. The dreaded upcharge. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the upcharges. Yeah. So they um, SGC. I haven't come across it where they've upcharged. So uh, I think from a business standpoint, I can connect with that and. Um, for the most part, anything I do decide to grade, I decide to do it for preservation purposes and for curiosity. So, I mean, I, I have sold some graded stuff, but um, it's, I never, my focus is never to kind of turn a profit or anything like that. It's really just for, as I mentioned, preservation and curiosity. So, I love, by the way, that you have a Hank Aaron rookie and a one and a, K-line in a three and, and two and a half <coughs> maze. Do you do you tend to gravitate towards the lower grades just because of affordability? What's kind of the reason why you have those cards? Excuse me. Yeah, you know, it's really, I mean, affordability is a big one. Um, I can only afford what I can afford. So the Hank Aaron was it like those, there are certain cards that are, that are big purchases. Uh, but, you know, like an LK-line rookie card in that grade is... Um, feasible for me uh it's still a big spending it's still a big purchase but um yeah i i i i, I love the i there's certain of those cards that i've purchased raw and some of them i purchased i've i've gotten them you know that i purchased them graded already but yeah i mean the you know the hank aaron graded a one obviously it's going to have condition issues but it, it really holds a story to it and so like the one that I have, I think had some tape residue on it. And, uh, you know, it just kind of makes me think like, you know, where did this card come from? How many hands have had this card? Uh, how often has it been passed down? So, you know, it's aside from paying the amount that I did, uh, it's to me, it's a, it's a thing of beauty that it's lasted for how many years? What, like 70, 70, almost 70 years now. So yeah. I mean, that's remarkable to me. Yeah, I love, I, I think, again, people hear me preach this all the time, but buy the grade you can afford, but stretch your money, right? If, you, if you're if you okay with a nice looking three, a nice looking four, lower lower, and bigger cards, you know, twos, and my, my maze rookie is a two, and I love it, you know, no big deal. Uh, it's a great looking two. I, I just think you, people... I don't like grade snobs that just like, well, I only, I only collect sevens or higher or eights or, high. you know, it's like, give me a break. Come on, man. Um, most of us can't live in that world. Congratulations to you. that you do. <laughs> But uh, most of us live in a normal world where we have to try to stretch our hobby dollars. And uh, that's awesome that that's where you gravitate to as well. And that makes total sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm excited about getting the cards. I think it's important to kind of look into getting the cards now because especially rookie cards, because they're in my mind, they're always going to be desirable. So in, when you go forward in the future, I mean, you, it's hard to predict where it's going to go, but it seems like rookie cards kind of hold their weight over time and have only really kind of risen. But, and so it makes it better to kind of, get the card sooner rather than later, but at the same time, um, you know, the, have some patience in knowing what you want, but uh, yeah, like for Al Kaline, the three, I'm super pleased with it because um, it was a good price range for me. And the 
card itself presents nicely. And, you know, I, I don't want to wait years and years and years to have to save up for a seven because, you know, a, a lot of that extra money could have gone to an Ernie Banks. I, and I mean, I have an Ernie Banks. That's a one and a half. I could, could have gotten that, which I did. So to me, it's better to buy multi like rookie cards from this, you know, from like three or four rookie cards instead of one high grade rookie card, in my opinion, that's just my take. Yeah. I, I happen to agree with that take, actually. Now, I know you set up at shows, you know, would you call yourself a part-time dealer? What, what would you describe yourself as? I guess. I think I kind of classify myself, yeah, I mean, part-time dealer, but really the I don't do it for money-making. I do it to reinvest it into my collecting. So what do you, what do you normally sell at shows? What's your setup look like? Uh, my setup is going to be a main, so I have a main display case where I showcase the higher profiled cards. And then off to the right of that, uh, I will have kind of like some singles that, you know, anywhere between like the 10 and $40 range bargain bin. I'll have a bargain bin for people that want to just go in and find dollar cards, $2 cards. And then finally I'll have um, a couple of sets, uh, binders, and then I'll have like a, excuse me, I'll have a little box of like 10 cents, 25 cent vintage cards from like, like commons from 73, 74, 75. So uh, my, my, my biggest aim when I set up a show is I price to sell. So um, I make sure that anything that I have priced is comps or below even because, uh, you know, it's, it's it's no fun to sit at a table and have people pass by and not interact with you. I encourage and welcome the interactions. And so I've developed a good customer base of people that come back repeatedly. And it's been really uh, encouraging to see that. The best way to get people to start conversations with you is have your cards priced right. Yeah. First of all, have them priced, period, right? And then we we talked about this on your episode, but not having cards priced is just lazy to me by dealers, but price your cards, price them to sell. I mean, you're there to sell cards, right? Not to, it's not a giant show off uh, flex. Right. So no. I love that, that you said that about the way you run your show when you is, is your showcase, is it, you know, vintage stuff? Is it modern stuff? Is it a mix? Purely vintage. Uh, modern uh, it's modern is, um, you know, with all due respect to modern collectors, I think it's a marvel that they're able to to do it so effectively, given how many how much variety there is in it. Um, but it's too much for me to be able to process. I kind of grew up um, seeing you know vintage purely at shows and just kind of gravitating to that. So that's what I generally sell is just vintage. I love it. So do you find that there are younger people coming to your table interested in vintage is it mostly older guys what's the demographic that you tend to see at your table yeah i would say that the majority are people in their you know like anywhere like their late 30s all the way to 70s and even 80s i've had some older folks that a lot of set builders a lot of guys who are set builders and uh great stories i've gotten some people that are have like these other hobbies that they've talked to me about. And so you have a variety of different people. It's really interesting to see the dynamics of it. I, I always think about, I'm always thinking like, how can we get younger people 
to like vintage. And I know that's kind of me <laughs> shooting myself in the foot, encourage wanting to bring more competition, so to speak, into me buying vintage. But the reality is there's plenty of it to go around. And so I would love to see more younger people. I wouldn't even say kids, just younger people, period, interested in vintage. Uh, I don't know. It, it, I just, I think it's important for the hobby's longevity and sustainability. It does exist. They do exist. So um, are you familiar with Garrett Ballpark Memories? I am. Yeah, Garrett's a great example. Uh, and I envy Garrett so much because his collection is unreal. Um, very smart. He's been, he's very smart in his, in his approach. And uh, I think he's kind of, we, him and I kind of share a similarity in how we're like, I think him and I are selling to collect essentially. I think that's what our aim is. And, um, but he's a perfect example of someone that's that you're trying to find. You were trying to find someone because I think he's only 20 or 21. And so, uh, and there's some other ones too. I think, uh, Steven sports cards, Dom, he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, I think it's like Ryan three, breakout four. cards. Yeah. There's tons there. There, there are a number, number of people, number of, uh, young, uh, younger people that exist that are kind of, you know, carrying that kind of legacy along with the vintage. And, uh, it's really hard to, kind of envision what it's where it's going to be in you know 20 30 years is the name mickey mantle going to be treated the same way that like ty cobb is treated you know because the, the you know the time frame is is he going to be remembered the same way i like to think he will be uh given the circumstances because i mean 50s was the golden age of baseball so uh it certainly seems like it's vintage has a good promising future ahead of it if that makes any sense uh Yes, it totally makes sense. I don't think vintage is going anywhere in terms of being significant aspect of the hobby. Uh, there will always be people interested in vintage. Again, you know, it, it just it doesn't take a lot of people to make it popular, right? You don't need everybody interested in it. You just need enough to make it, you know, viable. And like when you go to shows and you're selling vintage, are you selling like dupes from your collection? Are you selling <laughs> kind of extra stuff? I started selling duplicates at first, but then I realized my inventory wasn't it wasn't strong enough to really kind of sustain anything. So um, not that I kind of force myself to part with part with cards, but I don't know if you've ever had this response. Um, no, we're we're so emotionally invested with baseball cards, but I've realized that after selling a card that maybe I was emotion that I was emotionally connected to, uh, I kind of just almost kind of let go of that emotion once it's gone. Like, because there's my the, the collection I have is you know it's fairly small compared to some other people, but. When I, when I sell a card that I was emotionally connected to at one point and may have had some reluctance in selling it, I've realized that after selling it, it's going to another collector. And I've almost kind of been like almost a, like a weight maybe has been lifted in some ways. I don't really think too much into, oh, did I regret selling that? Or um, I just... I just know... And for me, it's it's all about timing. Am I ready to move this card? And, and I think it all kind of ties into what sort of collecting style are you into at the moment? And that changes over time for yes. a lot of people. Yeah. No doubt. Right. Um, 
Are you ready to move your Hank Aaron rookie? <laughs> that so that's actually right now my focus is all about collecting rookie cards. And if I can't afford the rookie card, I will buy the second or third year, depending on who it is. So re realistically, in my financial situation, I can't afford to buy a Mickey Mantle 52. But maybe in due time, I can get a low-grade 53. And when I get the 53, I can offset some of those costs by getting by maybe selling my 56 that I have or my 59 that I have. I'm all like initially I was all about player runs and having as many cards as possible of a single player and uh, like having a lot of Mickey Mantle cards or Willie Mays cards. But then I started thinking about it and I said, you know, in the long run as i get older i think it's really you know like what am i going to do with all these cards you know i'd rather just have one one really really good card even if it's low grade and be able to kind of move the rest to kind of continue continue that cycle of um, selling to collect i i love this conversation because we're very different and that's good that, that my point of that is <clears throat> i'm a hoarder right i mean i've got cards coming out of my ears and I love them all, but I don't get to, if, if I'm being like transparent as transparent gets, sure. I can't enjoy as many cards as I have. It's impossible. I, I could sit here literally all day, look at cards and I'll, I won't get through any, you know, I'll, I'll still have a ton to look through tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And so I don't get to enjoy my collection in, in its totality no. often. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy when I finish a player run or a, or a year of a hall of famer year run, all the hall of famers, I'll pull them out and set them up and put them on the table. And I, and I love those moments and they're, they're fleeting because it's not like I get to do that every day and want to pull, you know, it's, I would say it's a pain in the butt. It's, it's actually fun to go through and pull all the mantles or all the errands or whatever player run I'm, I'm I've completed that's a, actually a fun process, but it, it's not something I want to do all the time. And so a lot of cards don't get seen as much as I probably wish I, I could look at them. And so that's maybe a whole different discussion. I love your aspect because you're enjoying your collection. You're keeping it contained enough to where it's easy to enjoy. Does that make sense? Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, Perfect, you know, prime example is I bought the Aaron rookie, paid a good amount of money for it, and I have a, I had a 55 and a 56, and those are my two oldest Aaron cards that I had. And so I just bought the Aaron rookie. I went to a card show, not to sell, I was just going to one, and um, I was going around to dealers primarily to trade some of the graded stuff that I have or sell it. And I ran into an older gentleman who I guess caught word that I had a 55 and a 56 and he ended up buying both off of me. And so in, in my mind, I'm thinking this is, you know, I have no disrespect to dealers, but I'd much prefer to sell it to a collector than a dealer. Cause I know that it's going to go to someone who's going to really appreciate and cherish it for a longer, you know, for as long as they live really. So, and they might be doing a, a full player run where they want to collect as many cards as possible of that player. So, um, that was kind of, that's a good feeling. So there's really a lot of factors into why I kind of approach this, but um, yeah, you kind of contain the collection as much as you can. I mean, uh, I cherish and I appreciate those that collect that 
really kind of build these really vast collections like yourself and like John Wade Boggs fan. I know he has a really big collection as well. And so, and like I said, like I've always preached this, there's no right or wrong way of doing this. It's just what, what the way that you really kind of appreciate and enjoy it. Yeah. And I think it's important for people out there that are listening to this to hear a different perspective. If they're hearing me all the time preaching my style, my collecting style, I don't want people to think that that's it, that it's my way or the highway, you know, um, nothing could be further from the truth. And so hearing you talk about the way you collect, I hope that resonates with some people and like, Oh, that's another way to do it different than the way Mike does it. And yet you obviously have a great time with it. And, and so that's just so cool to hear the, the different dynamics that go into each of our styles. I love that when you go to shows, you're talked about set builders and guys come by and you're helping them build sets. I know Craig, my buddy, who's a dealer, he loves helping guys complete sets, you know, that they've been working on it for 20 years or 15 years and they're down to their last few cards. And he wants to help them like genuinely give them good deals, give them a great experience at his table, that kind of thing. Uh, and he, he just gets a lot of joy from that. Mm-hmm. Do you have that similar feeling when you're helping people? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't remember having an encounter with any customer where it's been um, hostile. Yeah, like never really that. I never have those moments, really. I mean, there are times where negotiating does go back and forth, but it's really kind of just, you know, we both want it. We're both close. We're both so close, but we just, we're not just quite there. And that happens from time to time. But to answer your question about set building, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's guys that come to my table. We share great stories about their set building and, um, you know, just have – it's really just a really engaging conversation. And, you know, uh, I'm kind of diving in with them to find the cards that they want. So I'm not just leaving them isolated, sitting down in a chair, going through binder to binder. I'm in the – I'm in kind of the weeds with them trying to – find what they're looking for in hopes of kind of getting them there. And if there's ever like a really a beat up card and they're okay with that, I usually just kind of throw those in for no additional cost because I mean, it's not, I'm not going to be missing out on something, you know, it's just, and that to me is the, is the, the biggest, the greatest satisfaction is being able to kind of provide those deals and especially some freebie cards that go with it because it makes someone else's day. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. And I, I resonate with that. And I, when I interact with dealers, it shows there's a reason I'm interested in that card. It's not just because, right. It fits somewhere in my collection. And so I try to communicate that with the dealer. Uh, no, no question. I'm trying to soften them up a little bit because I really do want the card, but I want it at a, at my price. And so I, I do think most dealers are, they're human too. They get the collecting thing. You know, most of them have collected or have a collection themselves and they're, they're not immune to having their heartstrungs plugged a little bit and, and going, man, I want to help this guy out. And I genuinely appreciate that when they do, like when they go, man, that that's cool. That that's your last Frank Robinson card you need, or and I'm going to help you do that. I want you to, I want you to buy it from me. 
you know, well, I want to buy it from you too. If you'll do this number, I'll buy it from you, you know, kind of thing. And it, so I always tell people out there, never, never lie to a dealer. I'm not telling you to be deceptive, but don't be afraid to share why that card means something to you. Don't be afraid to talk about that. Cause like you, that gets you, that's your greatest satisfaction as a dealer. You just said it right. When, when you can really help somebody move their collection in, in, in towards completion or, or helping them figure it all out. And so I think that's a good marriage there between collector telling the right story, telling the true story and, and a good story and a, and a dealer who has the mentality that you do mm-hmm. of genuinely wanting to help people out in this hobby. That's uh, a great, that's when, that's when deals happen, right? Yeah. When, when that kind of stuff goes on. So um, what's some, what are some cool cards you've sold that you said you don't regret? You don't, you know, you kind of let go if you, if you're emotionally attached, has there been a card that you've kind of said, man, I, I bought it. I ended up buying it back cause I sold it and I wish I wouldn't have, you know, not really. I mean, there have been cards that I've sold that, uh, I'm like, not regret, but, I, um, like I sold a 73 Ryan and I was collecting, uh, I'm a big Nolan Ryan collector, so I'll collect his Mets cards because I mean I'm a big Mets fan. So my whole premise was to keep all the Nolan Ryan cards that are Mets and sell the rest of them off. Um, so I, but the '73s card for whatever reason I just love the pose that he has in that, even though he's with the Angels. And so I sold one that I had that was in really really nice shape to somebody, and I kind of thought like, oh, uh, you know. Maybe it'd be nice to get that card again. So I found it at a show with uh, from a guy, um, really nice guy. Really, uh, his name was Chris. I bought it off of him, and um, so there's like little cards like that. But for the most part, I kind of just look forward. I look look ahead to some of the rookies that I don't have. So that's kind of been my focus lately. T two hundred six rookie cards, finishing some sets like the some basketball sets that I've been working on, but. Yeah, I kind of just, um, I don't look at the rearview mirror that often. I like that. I'm moving forward, looking ahead. The yeah. 73, did, was it at the same show that you had sold it at? You found it again? or was it? No, like- no. I. Um, that's a really kind of a, not the greatest example because I, I'm not a, that emotionally connected to it. It was just a cool looking card. And so I found another one for a good price. Um, but yeah, no, it's, rarely do I kind of, have to re-evaluate a, uh, something that I've sold. Um, to me, it's kind of just, if I sell something, uh, it's an opportunity to be able to purchase something else in the future. So, and that's generally been the case. I've definitely kind of grown to become uh, very, very, not very, not, not overly cautious, but I've slowed down how much I've purchased uh, in the last, I guess, the, since the start of 2023, I've been slowing down how much I'm purchasing and I've been a little more selective on who I'm buying from. So what are your targets right now? As we head to the national, what are you kind of on the hunt for? What are you looking for? Well, I know that there are certain rookies that are definitely within reason or reasonable price that don't go for a lot of money. So a Yastrzemski rookie card is one that is like a 1960 tops uh, you know i know he technically has two rookie cards but the 1960 i think is the one that kind of people resonate more with uh the horizontal 
uh, profile shot of him. And um, so that one you can find relatively easily for a decent price. Um, you know, really, I probably should be – last year I kind of came up with a spreadsheet of cards that I wanted, and I took it with me, and I made a good amount of purchases from that sheet. So I'm going to do it again this year. I haven't sat down and gone through it yet, but rookie cards, uh, I usually make one big purchase. And so, if I mean, if I can get a 53 maze or a 50, even a 52 maze and, a, and like a one or anything like that, that would be – incredible but i won't hold my breath <laughs> right yeah it feels like prices have come down for sure i mean it is, when you're at shows are you seeing that i mean you go to a lot of shows in the new york city area where you live and you know are you seeing prices soften um it depends um it depends on the dealer so like I mentioned before, I buy from a select group of dealers that are in the area. So if you don't mind me showing you a card, I, I'm yeah. kind of excited about this one. Yeah. Uh, purchased the Satchel Page 53 recently. I saw that on your, you did, you did, you showed that on a video. Yeah. yeah. And um, are you familiar with the uh, card soup, Brian Roth? Yeah. Brian B. Roth 6. Yeah. Yeah. So Brian, um, he's a dealer that I love buying from. Um because we're both, he's we're, also a collector, and so exactly. It's, I mean, those are the people you want to deal with, and so he's a great guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, it makes it very easy. So he sets up in the city every weekend. Um, for those, <laughs> I'm referring to Manhattan in New York City. Uh, he sets up at a flea market every Sunday, and so I've gone to him a number of times, and I saw that one sitting there. He had it marked at 400. I asked if he could do 350, and uh, you know, he had a little bit of resistance, but I understand why. But he, you know, we do, we've done a lot of business together. And so uh, that was really, really cool of him to do that. It's probably the only Satchel Page card I'll probably buy because I'm not as invested into his cards, but I know there's so few of his cards um, in terms of like what they, you know, he short career, so didn't sure. have many cards printed. Uh, so it's like things like that. I'll buy from, certain dealers that I've done business with in uh, the national obviously changes that because you're going to be meeting new dealers, but um, that's kind of my approach. I, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's just something that I feel comfortable with. So you said, you mentioned a 52 may what's kind of the reasonable couple of cards, those, those rookie cards that you're talking about that you're targeting. In terms of uh, at the national, um, maybe like what cards I'm looking for, you mean? Yeah, or... yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Willie Maze is a stretch, but right. to get a 52 Maze would be incredible for the right price. Uh, but again, it's a f yeah, long, long term project. Um, I mentioned the Yastrzemski rookie card. Uh, I'm trying to think 58, maybe. I know he's not a Hall of Famer, but Maris, Maris's rookie card would be great. Cepeda? Do you have Cepeda's? I do have Cepeda's. That's a great one. Yeah, um, the red just pops on that card. So if, that's you right. a, if you don't want me mentioning this, that's another thing that's great about setting up at shows is, um, and uh, Brian uh, B. Roth, uh, he has made a killing in doing this. Um, now, is when I'm setting up at shows, there are people that pass by and are selling stuff. And so I had the fortune opportunity to take a look to be the first person to take a look at this guy's sleeves that he had set up and he didn't even have a binder just sleeves of vintage 
And it was a modern dealer who set up next to me who said, oh, Sammy's a vintage guy. You should bring it over to him. And so he, the guy brought it over to me and showed me uh, what he had. And it was I picked up the Gibson rookie, the Cepeda rookie, and a 59 Stan Musial. And so I got it for an incredible price. And so I don't want to bore you the details, but essentially that's the another beauty of setting up at shows is that you have great opportunities to buy cards at really, really great deals because, you know, you normally would not have that if you were just, just walking around. Yeah. yeah. It's it, it, they're missed. They're not those opportunities that come up. And when you try to do searching online for collections, it's picking like a needle out of a haystack to find a good one. So yeah, it's an um, ancillary benefit to setting up. I know I've had friends, you know, at the Dallas show, will they'll set up and I'll use their table basically just as a place to park my butt and rest. And it's so fun just to sit there and people coming by and it, it's, you know, I can see how it could get if you're there for three days or something like, okay, I'm ready to go home. But if you if you do it with the right attitude, I mean, <laughs> it can be a lot of fun right? Having great conversations. Yeah. They can go quickly if you, you know, if you have the right stuff and people are interested and you get to have cool conversations. So Sammy, I hate to do this, but I got to, I got to cut this one a little short, shorter than normal. No problem. Uh, I, I've got a previous engagement of some people coming over in a little bit, but man, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can uh, follow what you're doing on YouTube. Yeah. I'll just YouTube Sammy Thunder. Uh, should come up top listing. Uh, that's one way. I also do Instagram, uh, Sammy underscore, oh, sorry, Sammy underscore thunder underscore vintage. Easy way to get in touch with me there. Those are my two primary ways of interacting. I'm on Reddit. I share on, on the, on the, on the uh, threads there too. So, but those are my uh, main social platforms. Well, thanks for having me on your show and thanks yeah. for being on my show. And, uh, all in all, we got to talk about an hour and a half, a little more than yeah. total. So uh, great getting to have a discussion with you. I love your perspective, and I can't wait to see you in a few weeks at the National. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike. All right, guys. Y'all take care, and hopefully we'll see you at the National. If we don't, keep collecting.